2: You've come to the right place. And by the way, each week, I have the privilege and opportunity to visit with my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, welcome. Happy Cringe Month. Oh,
1: happy Cringe Month is right. <laughs> uh, I was at the uh, the Kroger the other day just doing a little bit of shopping and having a sweet tooth. I rolled by the bakery section and naturally, of course, they had cupcakes with the pride, with the pride flag and symbology all over them.
2: You know, and, and less people think, well, you guys are having a laugh at, uh, you know, the expense of marginalized people. You and I are both very much live and let live kind of people. If someone wants to pursue happiness, whatever they peacefully want to do to pursue it, I'm OK with that. Just don't force it on me and don't force it on kids. And unfortunately, well, sure, those- And
1: why is it even a matter of, of uh, you know, overt public approbation? I mean, I don't care who you sleep with. And why should that be on a cupcake? Exactly. I mean, if your identity is hinges on who you sleep with, you haven't got much of an identity.
2: Well, and and the the idea that well, you know, guys, this is just a marginalized you know section of society. I'm sorry, but I've seen I've seen the number of corporate logos that have gone rainbow for the month, and uh, boy, you know, if, if things get any more marginalized, we're going to need more pages on the calendar just to handle all the different days of observance and holidays that that uh, you know celebrate and recognize and affirm this uh, supposedly marginalized. Section of society.
1: You make an excellent point, and um, I'd elaborate on it a little bit. In that, what we have now is exactly what they were railing against 50 years ago, by which I mean official, legalized, enforced bigotry against us. Now, you know, it's no longer a matter of private people just saying, you know, I don't like so and so because so and so is black or whatever, or because they're gay or whatever. Now it's official policy, and it's also the uh, the policy of the woke government. You know, which is bearing its fangs and threatening to go after people if they don't bend knee, uh and show how much they support so-called diversity, which of course is uniformity. It's agreement with whatever the woke left says it is.
2: Right. And I, I was jokingly, before Eric and I jumped on the air here, I was teasing, hey, have you been to any good struggle sessions lately? But I'm <laughs> only half joking because it seems like the invitations or rather the demands you will attend this struggle session seem to be yeah. everywhere, especially the workplace. Yeah.
1: Yes, you know, and you and I talked a little bit about this off the air, and about um, you know the the danger that we put ourselves in when we go to work for one of these woke corporations. Uh, maybe we're tempted by, hey, it's a you know it's a nice position, it, it pays well, I can uh, I can support my family on this job, but it will potentially put you in the position of having to bend knee to these people. And do you want to do that? And how much is that? How much is that paycheck worth to you in the context of that?
2: I would submit that there are not that many people who have the um, strength and and backbone to walk away from such a job. Now, I I have a good friend who just was offered, I think, a really nice position, but uh, one of the things he noticed was this was a company that is very much into that whole uh, uh, DEI Mm -hmm. and ESG mentality, and and he turned it down, saying, I don't want to have to deal with that.
1: Good for him. You know, he's probably competent. He's probably good at what he does, and this is the advice that I give anybody who asks me about this. If you're good at what you do— you'll never have trouble finding work and being able to support yourself. Uh, don't be afraid of going out on a limb a little bit and going to work for yourself or finding people that you can work with who, uh, you know, who are willing to just focus on what you do and not what your politics
2: are. Here, here. I've, uh, it, you, you discovered this sometime before I did, but in the last few years I have uh, learned, you know, that it's okay to shed the security of that regular paycheck and to work for yourself and, and whatever, you know, whatever insecurity I feel, or that sense of okay, I really have to hustle this month, is so much more than worth. You know, what whatever um, I, whatever I'm giving up is worth the freedom that I'm getting in return.
1: But you know, you're not really getting anything up. Here's something that um, people should should take to heart. I think, or consider: there is no security at an employee at a corporate job. You could be fired at at will next week for whatever reason. Uh, you know, it's a, the illusion of security. You think, oh. Uh, I'm going to have this job forever, and clearly that's not the case. It may have been more generally true back in the 50s and 60s when people would spend their entire lives working for one company, but obviously that's no longer true. So it's a false sense of security. When you work for yourself, at least you have the security of knowing that your job is under your own control and not under the control of some remote, uh, faceless bureaucracy that you have absolutely no control over.
2: And I'd, I'd kind of like to pivot at this point to, you know, and we're talking about this in the in the context of, you know, uh, it's 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 Rainbow Ramadan, and everybody's expected to celebrate. <laughs> but, I, I but, just about peed my pants on that one. But, <laughs> Rainbow Ramadan? You invent that? No, no, I can't remember who said it, but I thought, oh, that's <laughs> uh, that's very descriptive.
1: But, I'm sorry to interrupt you that was just too good.
2: There's I, I'm very concerned about uh, the very same people who were in place during the lockdowns and who are making the decisions you know of public health policy. they're mm-hmm. still very much in power and, and I think we have to be aware that uh, you know the ways that we're vulnerable to them because I'm positive there is another emergency, another crisis coming and they're going to try no to lock us down again.
1: No question. in fact, did you catch I can't remember the woman's name offhand but the replacement for weepy Walensky over at the cdc that the yes, biden thing that yes. put forward you remember what her who, her name she's awful
2: i don't remember uh, she's her even name
1: worse than Walensky.
2: yeah yeah she, she's a fan though of of you know well whatever we say is is law and you're you're obliged to obey it actually the the brownstone institute had a really good article i think it was jeffrey tucker 20 um difficult realities that we've learned over the last 3 years and, and one of them is, you know, the, the structure, the, the infrastructure is still in place to lock us down again. Mm-hmm. So we need to be aware of that. And, and keep in mind, they're, they're looking for excuses. The people who run those, those programs or run those agencies are just looking for the excuse to, to bring the next lockdown.
1: No question. And, you know, really what's still in place more foundationally is the premise behind all of it. And that is what has to be Uh, deconstructed thoroughly. This idea that it is acceptable to use prison terminology for people who've never been convicted of any crime to lock people down in their homes over some hypothetical danger that uh, that doesn't actually manifest, but just based on the assertion of of hysterics and tyrants. That's what's got to be challenged, because that's how you take away the power of the tyrants.
2: Well, it's we learned the hard way, some of us, that if you're going to stand on your own feet, if you're going to refuse the jab, if you're going to refuse to put on the face diaper, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be comfortable with being, you know, out of your comfort zone or being marginalized or shouted at or otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, punished for, for standing on your own. But it was a good dry run for us. We just need to make sure that yeah. we we don't let our guard down.
1: Absolutely. You know, we, we're used to, uh, we're habituated to, at least people who grew up before all of the madness really began to descend. Uh, you know, of of a kind of normalcy in that you know your work life wasn't your political life, and that generally speaking, they would leave you alone if you you know if you weren't a criminal, if you just did your job and uh, and conducted yourself like a responsible person, you could count on being left alone. That's not true. They will not leave us alone, and it's really important to get that through our heads and base our decisions on that going forward.
2: Yep, there there's no longer a safe place to hide, so you might as well make peace with the fact that uh, if you're going to be free you better be willing to pay the price of standing up like a free man or woman and and asserting your your liberty um, in the face of people who are determined to take it from you or persuade you to hand it to them.
1: I think Frederick Douglass said something along the lines of, uh, you'll get exactly the degree of tyranny that you're willing to accept.
2: Wow. That rings so true. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us learned... Um, We're willing to accept quite a bit, especially when we're scared or we're uncertain or, you Mm -hmm. know, the whole crowd appears to be going in this direction. Um, Eric, I just got to tell you, I'm very grateful for your example. There are times you kept me strong through your example when, uh, you know, the mask mandates were being ruthlessly enforced and so forth. Um, I don't like being that guy who who is being, you know, Mm -hmm. out of step with people and, and, you know, people are looking at me, you know, like with, with suspicion. But I still believe it's the right thing to do, and there, I know you took a very firm stand from the beginning. I just want you to know your example was what helped give me and other people strength.
1: Well, thank you, and you know I took example from other people in my own turn too. You know, I back in high school I read Solzhenitsyn, and it really hit me hard, and it it stayed with me all these years about not uh, allowing lies to stand, and not enabling them by by not confronting them and identifying them.
2: Yeah. If there is a mantra through which uh, to to endure through this, this month of June, it's live not by lies. Yep. Love Solzhenitsyn. And
1: and he lost everything. You know, he was in the gulag for, I think, a decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so he, he was willing to really stand up in a way that so far none of us have
2: had to. I think one of the most profound quotes that I've heard from, from Solzhenitsyn, that, that anytime I hear of someone getting in trouble, you know, for standing up and asserting their rights, I remember him saying, uh, to stand for truth is nothing. For truth, you must sit in jail.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think Thoreau said something along the same lines, and uh, it's a thread that runs commonly through uh, the humanistic tradition, the liberal tradition, not the modern interpretation of that word, but the the kind tradition that re- that respected each of us as
2: individuals. Well, and I tend to take people like Solzhenitsyn a little more seriously just because the man clearly had skin in the game. I mean, he, he absolutely he did. He's not asking anybody to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. Absolutely. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We've got some fun stuff to visit in the next segment. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. If you check the show notes, you'll find a link that will take you right to his website. We'll be back
0: right after this. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian
2: Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, I, I don't mean to blow too much sunshine your way, but I got to tell you, one of the things I appreciate about you is you're a person who uses your words with care. In other words, uh, you you don't just throw a bunch of jargon out there or buzz phrases and, and not care what things mean. And, uh, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, deceptive words as they relate to EVs. Before we go there, though, let's talk about uh, what gas mileage costs us. I-, I loved this essay.
1: Yeah, yep. well, you know, we hear all the time from the government and from uh, politicians that they're going to save us all kinds of money by hurling out mandates that require the car manufacturers to build vehicles that deliver a minimum of so-and-so many miles per gallon. You hear that a lot. What you never hear about is how much that actually costs us, and we got a good metric of that the other day. Uh, The federal government hits Stellantis, which is the the corporate umbrella for the Dodge, uh, Jeep and Ram brands, among others, with $235.5 million in fines for not complying with the federal fuel economy mandates. And who do you suppose is going to end up paying for that?
2: Oh, the end consumer will.
1: (laughs) Of course. And, you know, they pay for it in many ways, uh, not just directly in, in terms of the the costs that are transferred onto the, the price of a vehicle, but also in terms of the choices that they no longer have. The reason that uh, Dodge and Ram and Jeep are dumping the vehicles that people want with, with V8 and V6 engines in favor of those that they don't, electric vehicles, is because of these gas mileage mandates, among other things. You know, They've recently imposed a mandate that will require them to average roughly 50 miles per gallon within a few years from now. And it's virtually impossible to do that with anything that is not a four-cylinder-powered hybrid. So, you know, say sayonara to a family sedan with a V6 or a V8 or an SUV or truck with anything like that and say hello to a partially or fully electrified vehicle that costs fifteen to $20,000 more. But don't worry. You're going to save so much on gas.
2: Yeah, somebody had pointed this out the other day. They, they were talking about Teslas and said, well, look at this. The, the cost is, you know, you can buy a Tesla Model 3 for only $25,000. And someone else said, hey, take a closer look at the fine print. That's the, the suggested price after you factor in what they say will be your gas savings. In other words, it, yeah. it, it's deceptive. You Oh, wow, $25,000. That's really not that bad. Well, the actual price is going to be somewhere north of 40000 That's for the starter yeah. model.
1: That's for the starter model with the low-range battery, which is something else deceptive that they never, ever tell you. Uh, you know, you never hear about uh, a non-electric car having different ranges, do you? You know, they all come standard with the same gas tank that holds the same amount of fuel. Whereas with electric cars, they all, the base models all come with a, a lower-performance, lower-capacity battery that delivers substantially less range. Uh, and, in order to have any kind of realistic range, you usually have to opt for the more expensive, more powerful battery that typically adds five to ten thousand dollars to the price. But don't worry, you're saving so much on gas.
2: Oh, it just you know makes me so happy now now, speaking of of electric vehicles, um, you you have a great article here about uh, about the electric motorcycle and and how that's yeah. a contradiction in terms. let please explain.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they're going after bikes, too, motorcycles. You know, bikes is the affectionate term that that people who have motorcycles usually use. Um, And a motorcycle is very different from a car. You know, cars have become, by and large, appliances. And that's why it's it's easy, I think, for a lot of people to accept this transition to electric cars. Because you just get in, you push the start button, uh, it doesn't have a manual transmission, and it just moves. Motorcycles are very different. They're much more involving. It takes much more skill to ride a motorcycle because in addition to an engine, you have a transmission and gears that you shift yourself. Motorcycles all have manual transmissions. These electric things that they're pushing have a motor uh, just like an electric car, no transmission, no shifting. So it looks like a motorcycle, but it isn't. Just like Caitlyn Jenner might kind of sort of look like a woman, but she isn't that either.
2: (laughs) Very true. Very true, and yet I I just can't get over this this sense that uh, every aspect of of our daily lives there there's some kind of mental manipulation at play. Unless unless you're very careful, it's easy to get to uh, you know led by the nose right along the path that somebody else is choosing that may not reflect reality at all.
1: Well, the overarching goal of this is, is to instill intellectual chaos. You know, it's very difficult to have a coherent conversation when nobody knows what the meaning of a word is any longer, or when that meaning is constantly being shifted. Uh, it's just difficult. You can't have well. There's a cat. Well, what is it? if a cat is a dog? You don't know what you're talking about anymore, uh, and and that's not accidental. They're they're using this to confuse and manipulate people, and to further this broaden goal, uh, broader goal of creating this 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 sense of utter chaos, which they will then exploit to take advantage of by exerting control over it.
2: Yep. And it just shows the the importance of, of being willing, first of all, to claim your mind as, as sacred territory, sovereign territory, and, and to, to make sure that you're, you're defending, you know, your, your own, uh, your ability to, to think for yourself. You can't wait for somebody to spoon feed this to you.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit laborious, but it's necessary uh, that when we have conversations now, including informal conversations with people, that we not let things slip, that we not let terms go undefined. Because down that road lies chaos and also the surrender of objective reality. So when we, talk, we start talking about, uh, oh, let's, let's say, men, you know, men are biological things that have certain characteristics. They have certain chromosomes. They have certain morphological external characteristics. Women are, are a different thing, and they're not fungible. And you can't use the word she to describe he because he is wearing a dress and
2: lipstick. I've got to send you a link. And I will send you when we're when we're off the air. Um, I don't. Most people haven't heard of this story, but a high school senior in Kellogg, Idaho, that's right up in the northern part of the Panhandle. Last week, they were doing a rehearsal of their graduation walkthrough, and instead of doing you know senior quotes in the yearbook, they asked the seniors who were graduating just share with the underclassmen you know a piece of wisdom, a couple sentences that you know what wisdom would you share? One kid said the words: "Guys are guys, girls are girls. There's nothing in between." Outstanding. Care to guess what they did to him? <laughs> they banished banished him from graduation. And, and, of course, first of all, the principal said, well, it wasn't because of what he said. It was because he went off script. That was later shown to be a lie when the principal yeah. said, well, what he said was hateful and demeaning and, you know, basically yes. right out of the left-wing playbook. But here's the worst right. part. Protesters showed up the next day, about 100 people, parents and students, even a bus driver who was off the clock and on his own time, showed up to protest the fact that they were excluding this kid from graduation. And yep. the the sheriff, who is apparently uh, a rainbow flag uh, waiver, who is married mm-hmm. to a lady who is the art teacher, uh, they're both, they're, they're lesbians, um, mm-hmm. suggested they cancel graduation because there's safety mm-hmm. concerns that some, you know, out-of-county groups are going to come and disrupt the graduation, so for safety mm-hmm. we're going to graduate. That was a lie. They, they had the graduation as scheduled on Saturday, but just excluded this kid.
1: Also, yep. the only ones causing trouble are these woke left people.
2: And, and he was he had a summer job lined up fighting wildland fires that has now been taken away because one of the, the people in charge of the wildland firefighting in that area is married to a teacher there at the school. I, I guess yep. my point here is the woke cult has fully infiltrated the educational apparatus. Parents, you really need to beware.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, I think the kid will land well. We have been silent and we are the majority, the silent majority. Uh, too long in the face of all of this, and I think that is changing, and I think this kid will find affirmation coming very shortly and very, very, uh, very quickly, and it will give others courage to stand up and say the truth. You know, fundamentally, that's it. If their feelings were hurt, well, too bad. You know, the truth is the truth, and it doesn't change based on your feelings about the truth.
2: Yeah, that to me, that was the most egregious part of the response was He didn't speak anything that was untrue or even hateful. He stated what would have been a self-evident fact. Guys are guys, girls are girls. There's nothing in between.
1: Absolutely. There's nothing, and it's neutral, really. There's nothing, quote-unquote, hateful about that unless you're an insane ideologue who finds the truth offensive, which is exactly uh, what characterizes these woke left people.
2: Well, I'll send you some information on this. Uh, Interestingly enough, the legacy media here in Idaho won't touch it. None of the main, you know, corporate uh, media outlets. Oh, we don't know anything about that. Gee, I wonder why.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, you know why. You know, we belabor this a lot, but it's important uh, to to do it because not everybody knows it. You know, we think we have local media. We think we have. Oh, that's our, you know, our local hometown paper, hometown radio station, whatever it is. No, it's controlled by a corporate octopus. It's controlled by a handful of big companies that then issue the marching orders that they all align to and step
2: to. Here, here, Eric. Thanks so much for being my guest.
0: Likewise, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks
2: again for reveling in wrong think with me today. I just can't help but reflect on just how on target – George Orwell was, and yet uh, you know, there's a part of me that really thinks you know there there are people who looked at 1984 and said, "Wow, that's that's not a warning. That's that's an instruction manual. That's that's the way we ought to do things." Because, holy cow, groupthink, new speak, it's all coming to pass. I mean, just right there in front of our faces. And of course, uh, at no point will you see wrong think more strictly. You know, railed against and punished. Then, uh, well, during during this month. But uh, nonetheless, uh, th- again, thanks for joining me. I want to give a quick shout-out to my sponsors, including ClimbingUpward.com. This is my friend, Dr. John C. Pulver, also TMCPNation.com. That'd be my friend, uh, John Harvey, the Modern Conservative Podcast. Also, Borelli.com, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. By the way, if you want to check out an education for our time, Click on their link in my show notes at the thebrianheidshow.com, monticellocollege.org. Very pioneering stuff going on there, and I think it's only going to become more important as uh, events continue to unfold around us. Speaking of events unfolding around us, you know, the upheaval of the last three years, it's been hard to live through. It's hard to quantify, you know, and in fact, like a lot of people, I, I, as the memory starts to fade a little bit, uh, you know it's easier to kind of downplay it. Well, okay, you know we got through. Here we are, we survived, we came out on the other side. But sometimes we forget what exactly if, what exactly we went we went through. In other words, the lessons that came as a result of that can be difficult to try to describe. And I mean this not so much in the sense of let's commiserate about how hard it was. It was tough. Mentally, I think every one of us paid a price and, and are, are still paying a price. I find myself having to, uh, having to struggle in ways that, uh, that I never had to before in life. And it's not like, yeah, you've led a charmed life. Your, your privilege has sheltered you from so much. But mentally, it's, it's really difficult. Emotionally, a lot of people have struggled. Financially, a ton of people are struggling. And it's not getting easier. So I'm very grateful for writers like Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute when they can sit down and, and and he has a wonderful article that I'm linking in today's show notes, 20 grim realities unearthed by the lockdowns. And this isn't so much an invitation, hey, you should sit down and just wallow in the misery of what happened. Rather, use this as a learning experience. This is an opportunity to, to look at, you know, unflinchingly to acknowledge the truth of this is this actually happened. And uh, and then let's let's acknowledge, OK, this was this is what happened. It was bad. What can we do to keep it from happening again? Jeffrey Tucker says, you know, it's it's common to speak of the times before in contrast to the after times. So for us, in, for instance, when we refer to lockdowns, the turning point was March 16th of 2020, the day of 15 days to flatten the curve, though authoritarian authoritarian trends predate that. But that's when we saw rights were suddenly broadly throttled, even religious rights. I'll never forget the footage of, you know, police in, I think it was in Moscow, Idaho, arresting people standing in their church parking lot, singing hymns. It happened. And you can say, well, you know, we didn't know what was going on. It it doesn't matter. The bottom line is you had agents of the state kidnapping and jailing people for assembling and singing hymns, outside, no less. Anyway, we were told to conduct nearly every aspect of our lives in accordance with the priorities of a biomedical security state, which still didn't get it right. In other words, the experts still screwed things up royally and uh, told us things as fact that were not in fact facts. And Jeffrey Tucker's point here is, look, Very few people anticipated such a shocking development. This was the onset of a new state-conducted war. The enemy was something we couldn't see, so it could be anywhere. No one ever doubted the omnipresence of potentially dangerous pathogens, but now we were being told life itself depended entirely on avoidance of them, and the only guide going forward would be public health authorities. Now, the sad truth is everything has changed. Nothing is the same. The trauma is real. It's lasting. The claim of 15 days was revealed to be a ruse. The emergency lasted three years and then some. And the people and machinery that did this, sadly, are still in power. The pick to uh, head the CDC also has a long track record of enabling and cheering the lockdowns and everything that followed. So Jeffrey Tucker says it's a helpful exercise to summarize the new things we've discovered in, in these years. Together, they account for why the world seems different, why we all feel and think differently than we did just a few years ago. So I'm just going to walk through these real quick. I'm not going to go into detail. He goes into great detail on, on each one of these. But these are 20 terrible realities unearthed by lockdowns. Number one, surveillance and censorship by big tech. Number two, the power and influence of big pharma. By the way, on that one, I don't watch nightly news. I don't watch network news just because it really has nothing of value to offer me. But, but my mom does, okay? She's 88 years old. She doesn't get out much. That's really kind of her window on the world. So when I'm visiting her, it's not uncommon for her to have the news on, you know, to see what's happening. And I would encourage you, if you haven't watched a, you know, national newscast in a while, just turn it on for a little bit. It should take five minutes, ten minutes, maybe pay attention to how many ads are from pharmaceutical companies. It's remarkable. And hopefully you understand what I'm getting at. If the majority of the news media's advertising revenue is coming from pharmaceutical companies, well, no wonder they're towing the line. And of course, everything they do is great and and wonderful. That's their gravy train. Okay, number three on this list, government propaganda by big media. Number four, corruption of public health. Number five, consolidation of industry. This is a tough one. So many mom and pop businesses were shuttered because they were told you're non-essential. But the big corporations, wow, record profits, record growth. And why not? Their competition was virtually erased over the course of a couple of years. Number six, the influence and power of the administrative state, meaning those uh, offices of government where there is no direct accountability to the voters. Number seven, the cowardice of intellectuals. Jeffrey Tucker says intellectuals are the most free to speak their minds of any group. In fact, that's their job. But instead, they stayed quiet for the most part. And this was true on the left as well as on the right. Number eight, pusillanimity. Let me try that again. Pusillanimity, anonymity of universities. Yeah, the universities were among the worst when it came to masking and vaccination requirements, mandates and so forth. By the way, and I don't mean to, to sound vulgar when I say this, but a pusillanimous person is a person who's cowardly. So if, you, if you've ever heard somebody call, well, you're a puss. That's what they're talking about. You're, you're pusillanimous. Number nine, spinelessness of think tanks. They didn't exactly stand up either. Number 10, the madness of crowds. Mass formation. Yeah, we, we learned a new phrase and we learned what it looks like. Number 11, lack of ideological conviction on both the left and the right. That one kind of stings because, right, we were, well, mm, our side is good, but no. No no there was there was a wholesale abandonment of principle number 12 we learned the sadism of the ruling class i think this could best be seen with all the servants who wore masks while all the high up and up muckymucks showing up to various you know galas and so forth were unmasked very clear uh, you know depiction of which class was privileged and which one wasn't number 13 the real problem of massive class or the real life problem of, of massive class inequality. Number 14, the cravenness and corruption of public education. Number 15, enabling power of central banking to fund it all. Number 16, the, the shallowness of the faith communities. This one really hurts because it, it rings so true. How many churches knuckled under and did what these health authorities demanded they do? That was tough. That was really tough. Number 17, the limitations on travel. Number 18, the tolerance for segregation. This is particularly between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Number 19, we saw the reality of the goal of a social credit system, which, by the way, is still very much a goal, but now it's going to be brought about by monetary rather than medical means. And finally, number 20, corporatism is the system under which we live giving lie to existing ideological systems. Now I hope you'll read this article. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy read, so give yourself a bit of time. But the Brownstone Institute has done such remarkable work in documenting so much of what the experts got wrong, so much of what the uh, what you know the medical experts who were being uh, pummeled by the establishment got right. They have been a voice of reason throughout the last uh, well two and a half three years. I think they were founded during uh, the latter part of 2020. Anyway. I consider them one of my indispensable sources uh, for
0: resources for wrong thinkers, and uh, therefore I recommend them to you. This This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
2: I'd like to ask a small favor. And I know, well, you're asking a lot of us, but uh, if you find value in the commentary that you hear on this program, if you find value in the articles that I share with you, please do me this small favor and let others know that this is a resource they may wish to avail themselves of. I understand not everybody wants this. Not everybody has, you know, a, a, not everybody has the constitution for this this kind of information. It's It's for some people, it's just too scary. And I get that my job isn't really to try to scare people. I'm trying to offer encouragement, hopefully some truth and light and perspective. But always remember, it's not about to, you have to believe what I'm, sh- what I'm sharing with you so much as I want to share this with you in the hopes that this information can give you a broader perspective from which to assess where you are in the world and move forward. But what you do with that information, of course, is entirely up to you. So two quick articles I want to touch on in this final segment. One is from J.B. Shirk. Man, I am enjoying this guy's essays. He writes, uh, or he's published regularly on AmericanThinker.com. He has a wonderful piece about our descent into clown world. And I love this because he says, Before the woke wars began in earnest, I once naively thought that men's professional sports would remain a small readout from the insipid idiocy of political correctness stadiums where rowdy fans cheer on strong men engaging in physical acts of confrontation and sometimes bloody violence seemed like sturdy cultural ramparts capable of keeping leftist indoctrination at bay. But he says, alas owner imposed ideology across leagues and organized intimidation campaigns against individual players have combined with enough force to crash through the gates. Now grown men who have spent their lives training for battle meekly embrace ever-changing Marxist planks before millions of spectators, who likewise are allowed to watch only if they implicitly accept the state's woke dogma. Will Will the players and fans be forced to kneel during the national anthem this week? To reject their religious faith as an expression of hate? To applaud child grooming and predation? To cheer the World Health Organization's dictatorial control over their lives? Stay tuned, he says the sports leagues will let you know what to believe just as soon as the Marxist brigades lay down new marching orders. Even men with a surplus of testosterone will be expected to comply. Now, just as the beer companies, fake conservative news networks, and so many iconic American companies before them, the sports leagues have turned their backs on generations of loyal fans in a display of repugnant pusillanimity. Hey, that's the second time today we've encountered that word. I wonder whether the Judases will one day regret it, says J.B. Shirk. I know that the ESG and DEI-pushing communists are castrating corporate holdouts that resist the woke Borg. But by bending to the Borg's will, these companies have destroyed any goodwill with lifelong allies. When the Marxists come for another pound of flesh from their corporate vassals and another after that, those in charge will eventually be forced to fight back or surrender. By that time, though, nobody will be willing to come to their defense. Now he says this has always been the short-sighted corporate gamble of the woke wars. There's never been a communist revolution that did not devour itself. By yielding to those who've always hated them and betraying those who have long defended them, companies are choosing to comply with woke or choosing to comply with woke orthodoxy. Are now entirely dependent on remaining in the Marxists' good graces. Yet grace is not something Marxists possess in any discernible quantity. It's not that politically conservative and religious Americans have blindly defended corporate interests in the past, but rather that liberty-loving, rights-protecting people tend to mind their own business. Their first reaction to a company's success is not envy. They do not immediately turn their sights on how best to confiscate another's good fortune. People who work hard for what they own do not worry about what someone else owns. They simply seek to be left alone. Free markets that empower consumers to choose products and ideas for themselves naturally incubate personal liberty. So for these reasons, freedom-minded Americans have rarely turned their ire toward corporate entities. But that's all changed. And he says, no longer is the customer always right. In the woke wars, corporations have decided that they will choose what products the customer must buy and which customers will be condemned for refusing. The same Americans who never asked for anything now are being told what to believe, how to act, how to pray, which sins to celebrate and which virtues to ignore. Corporations' once market-oriented organisms intent on reflecting cultural sentiment now force-feed cultural slop to the unwilling. And because this foul-smelling corporate fascism drenched in Marxist malice revolts free-thinking Americans, corporations are increasingly becoming their enemies. He says, when the day comes that the Marxists are throwing Molotov cocktails through corporate windows or confiscating company assets as their own, there will not be a lot of sympathy for millions of Americans who have long wished just to be left alone. When the same corporate officers who harangued normal Americans as bigots are rounded up by the real bigots who tolerate no diversity of thought, their Marxist jailers will lack the compassion and forgiveness that Christians embrace. When woke companies discover that they allied or allied with unworthy partners, untrustworthy partners, they will have already sealed their fate. Now, there's more to this, but uh, I I would encourage you, please check out J.B. Shirk's article that's included in today's show notes. He does end on a positive note. He says, something we possess today that didn't exist 1,500 years ago during the Dark Ages is a growing collective self-awareness about what is causing our society's collapse. During Rome's centuries-long demise, a few prescient writers understood how rotten the empire had become, yet the average human enduring those turbulent years experienced poverty, famine, and social upheaval largely in the dark. Those of us watching the woke corporate titans, central bankers, and unscrupulous politicians destroy the West today know exactly who should be blamed for what comes next. And he says, perhaps that's why they're working so hard to divide and distract us. And that's a good point. All the the effort that goes into keeping us divided right now is to keep us from focusing on who the real enemy is. So whether it's people encouraging, you know, blacks, you hate whites, and, uh, you know, Christian conservatives, you hate these people waving the rainbow flag or the trans activists or whatever. You know, this is not to say that right and wrong don't exist but it is to say that there's a lot of artificial division and, and man I see a lot of people who buy into it and I'm going to sound that caution that uh, I practice this myself don't allow yourself to be defined so much by what you're against strive to be the kind of person who's defined by what you stand for it seems like a you know difference without a distinction but I'm telling you it makes all the difference in the world one is motivated by a desire to build The other is motivated only by a desire to tear down and denigrate. You can't get good fruit from a poisonous tree or from a poisonous bush. You can't do it. If you want something good to happen, you've got to be willing to take a higher road. And I know there's a lot of anger out there that that has people saying, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, you've been trained not to do that shake off those mental shackles and and chart your own course. But if you're going to make a difference or if you're going to improve the world in any noticeable way, you've got to be willing to be a builder rather than just a person who's tearing stuff down or, or again, being enemy-driven in your thinking. This is probably the biggest argument that I've had with uh, traditional talk radio over the years. And yes, it, it made me a bit of a pariah, uh, for, for quite a few years because there came a point where the scales fell from my eyes and I went, holy cow, this is, this is all just about giving people demons to wrestle with and, and receiving their adulation in return for it. And, yeah, I was guilty of it. Oh, I was throwing bushels of red meat. Here you go. Here, here's who we're mad at today. And here's what uh, grinds our gears. And you can build a very large, loyal audience in doing so. I get it. Some people are like, well, you sold out then. If you if you stopped, you know, stating, you know, what who the enemy is and being willing to face the enemy. Look, you can face the enemy, but I think it's a it's a matter of proportion. Being aware of what the enemy is doing and and being aware of what their tactics are should probably occupy about five percent of our consciousness. In other words, yes, be aware of it. There there are things, you know, you want to keep your head on a swivel. And you want to know uh, what's going on so you're not caught unawares. But 95% of our effort would be better spent working to improve the world, starting where we're standing right now, using our influence wisely, as opposed to simply, you know, pointing out, here's what's wrong. Here's who's wrong. Here's, here's what makes me mad. That's a hard sell, by the way, to people who are, are already experiencing major frustration. And I get it, on the one hand, I really do get that seeing all the things that matter most to us, the things that we cherish, the things that we even hold sacred, seeing them mocked, denigrated, spat upon, burned, rejected, that's not a comfortable place to be. But if you can't convince people or help persuade people why these things matter, only that the people who are trying to destroy them are bad, you know, you're kind of missing the point.